This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Affirm Films' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick Brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Mark chapter 11 recounts a number of very significant acts of the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes a triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a colt and the people waved palm branches and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then Jesus fails to find figs on a fig tree and declares, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And then he goes on to drive the money changers out of the temple. Now, after all this happens, he and the disciples go back and see the fig tree withered. And what does Jesus say? He says, have faith in God. God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. What is the Lord really telling us in those verses? Was he bestowing upon his disciples some unusual power to throw mountains into the sea? Or is there something more that we should understand about what our faith in God can do? We're going to talk about it today with Dr. Robert Jeffress, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Dallas, and he's heard widely on the daily radio program, Pathway to Victory. His latest book is called Invincible. And so good to have you with us again, Dr. Jeffress. How are you? Great. Good to be back with you again, Janet. Well, thank you. So help us out. What is Jesus talking about when he says the one who has faith in God can cause a mountain to be taken up and thrown into the sea? Obviously, there are many Christians and non-Christians alike who would misinterpret this verse. What is the proper interpretation of that passage? Let's be clear. Jesus wasn't speaking literally, but he was speaking truthfully, and that's the important point. And what he's talking about here is the fact that if you have faith as tiny as a mustard seed, it doesn't matter the quantity of your faith. It's the object of your faith. You can do miraculous things. You can see miraculous mountains that are moved out of your way. You know, Janet, in the Bible, mountains represented obstacles between God's people and God's blessing. And uh, I wrote this book because I think in the last year and a half, there have been a lot of mountains that have popped up that are really separating Christians from the abundant life Jesus promised. Mountains like uh, grief or anxiety or fear. And I talk about in the book Invincible how we can cooperate with God to move those mountains. Uh, You know, salvation is a work of God alone. We can't add anything to it. But just about every other worthwhile venture in life is a partnership between God and us. You know, God told the Israelites, I'm going to give you Canaan. It's yours, but you're going to have to fight for every square inch of it. Mm. And uh, he says the same thing to us. We talk about what God's role and our role is in conquering mountains. We may not be able to eliminate mountains. I don't like this deliverance theology that says you can pray a prayer or give a love gift and somehow remove a obstacle forever. We still contend with them, but we can conquer them instead of allowing them to conquer us. Well, right. So what you're really saying is mountains signify the impossible. What appears to be impossible with man is possible with God. Is that really a fair assessment of what Jesus is trying to communicate? 
I think it is. You know, I think about Sir Edmund Hillary on May 29th, 1953. He was the first person to reach the summit of Mount Everest, but it actually wasn't his first attempt. He had tried two years earlier and failed. And after he failed, he stood in front of that mountain, shook his fist at it and said, one day I'll conquer you because you're not getting any bigger, but I'm growing every day. And I think that's the idea of a Christian. I like what you said earlier, Dr. Jeffress, when you pointed out that what matters is the object of our faith not how much we have. And you reference in your book, Matthew 17, where the Lord says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you alluded to this a minute ago, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. So it's the same kind of idea. How do you communicate, though, to people about even if your faith is the size of a mustard seed, it can still move mountains? Because some people get very confused. What exactly does that mean? What is Jesus trying to say? It's not the quantity of faith you have. It's the object of your faith. You know, and you do such a great job of exposing a lot of this false teaching out there, but a lot of Christians think of prayer and uh, faith as uh, like the little engine that could, you know, (laughs) chugging up the hill. I think God will. I think God will. I think God will. If you'll say that long enough and hard enough like a mantra, somehow you can make God do what he doesn't want to do. That's not faith. That's presumption. Faith is boldly asking God for what is in your heart, but then quietly trusting in his answer, whatever that answer is. Faith is believing that God will do what he has promised to do, not necessarily what I want him to do, but what he has promised to do and acting accordingly. And by the way, all the things we talk about, invincible, loneliness, dealing with grief, dealing with fear, these are all things God wants us to conquer, he says clearly in his word. Amen. Now, when you're talking about some of the movements that you mention in your book, Obviously, moving from doubt to faith is a critical movement, and this is something that you you really make a good point, which is doubt and unbelief are not necessarily the same thing. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, doubt can many times sow the seeds for unbelief, but the Bible doesn't uh, condemn doubt. Uh, Uh, Jesus never chastised somebody who was sincerely asking questions. He had a lot of uh, words for the Pharisees who insincerely posed questions, but he never turned anybody away away for asking questions. Look, Janet, we're finite human beings. Obviously, we have doubts about those things that we never see and, and can't see yet, but I think God's big enough to handle our doubts. I tell people, pour out your doubts to God. He's big enough to handle them. But unbelief is a settled conclusion, and the Bible does warn against unbelief. And in this chapter about doubt, you know, I talk about the fact, first of all, talk to God about your doubts, but pour out your heart. He already knows what's there anyway. But then I also make the point about the need to get connected with other Christians who can help you work through your doubts. You know, I say that doubts and mushrooms are alike in that they both grow best in the darkness. Hmm. And I've seen this over and over, Janet. Uh, One of Satan's favorite tactics is to isolate, separate Christians from one another and then attack them. And I use in the book the story of uh, Thomas. You know, we call him Doubting Thomas. Uh, He was so upset over the crucifixion of Christ, he separated himself from the rest of the apostles. He wasn't there when Jesus made his first resurrection appearance. He missed the benefit of that... blessing that the other disciples experienced. Now, later he did appear to Thomas, but the point is we need to be in the company of other believers to help us through our doubts. Well, right. And you think about Mark 9, you know, where the man with the epileptic, I can't even say it, epileptic son cried out, I I believe, help my unbelief. I need the Lord to help me talk. But when we talk about helping my unbelief, there are still Christians who sometimes say, 
I, I do believe in you, Lord. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again on the third day. But somehow I'm having difficulty believing in this particular situation that I can trust you. And I know that that's wrong. I should trust you. What does it mean to ask the Lord to help your unbelief? And how do you know if you've now moved from doubt to belief? Yeah, I, th- I think people who are sincerely doubting, they're looking for reasons to believe. Uh, unbelief uh, is, a, is, a, is an attempt to look for reasons not to believe. Good. And I would just say, you know, again, I mean, if it's theological doubts you have about things, uh, find an older, more mature Christian who can help you through those things. There's no doubt you have that somebody else hasn't had as well. And, uh, you know, in our church in a few weeks, we're having Lee Strobe will come and share his testimony about how he was a doubter and how he came to faith. There are logical answers to those kind of doubts. But when it comes in the realm of personal experience, uh, you know, that's when we need the fellowship of other Christians to help us and to remind us that what we're going through is not uh, unusual, especially after this last year and a half. People have dealt with losses, they've dealt with fear, they've dealt with so many things, but a lot of times we think we're the only one having these questions about God and His care. We're not. And uh, I I would just really encourage people, and I talk about it in the chapter on loneliness, you know, I'm so glad we've had the internet and so forth during the times that many churches have been shut down or pulled back. We had a half a million people watch us last Sunday. That's great. But that is a cheap substitute for real worship and being in person with other Christians. And it's time for Christians, I think, to give up being pajama Christians and get back to church. Amen. We should do another show on that, Dr. Jefferson. (laughs) I couldn't agree more with you, but I think that what you've pointed out is so significant, and that is the importance of fellowship and how we as the body of Christ can encourage one another. There are a lot more things to talk about in this new book by Dr. Robert Jeffress, Invincible. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. We'll come back right after this. From Affirm Films comes the Kendrick Brothers' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous take moviegoers on a cinematic journey that invites you to think differently about your earthly father and how you relate to God through five true stories. I'm stunned. He's real. He's really out there. And this is really him. This is really him. Show Me the Father. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theater September 10th. More information is available at showmethefathermovie.com. When Julia ended a bad relationship, she found out she was pregnant. After the father told her to get an abortion, this mom was confused and didn't know what to do or who to talk to. I just knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Julia was referred to a preborn center where she was counseled and supported with the strength that she needed to choose life. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. We're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. 
Preborn centers provide hope, love, free ultrasounds, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to moms like Julia. Preborn truly is the alternative to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in helping love and support young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, 855-402-2229, or there's a Preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. If you're looking for adventure, serving as a volunteer on the Mercy Ship is an adventure like no other. And you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital ship in the world, providing free care to some of the world's poorest people. Whether it's performing a surgery, cleaning the deck, or transporting a patient to a recovery center, every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people. Begin your adventure today. Connect with us at mercyships.org. It's an adventure of a lifetime. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, it really is true that some obstacles can really seem insurmountable, kind of like climbing a mountain. Boy, I agree with that. And yet we see what the Lord says about moving mountains and having faith in God. Dr. Robert Jeffress is with us from First Baptist Dallas. He's out with a new book called Invincible, and he's helping us to identify and really defeat the mountains, per se, that threaten to keep us from experiencing a blessed life. And this is very important. We were talking about moving from doubt to faith. I have to also touch on this one because this gets the essence of the gospel, Dr. Jeffress, moving from guilt to repentance. Now, it can be guilt, meaning you're not yet saved and you need to repent and believe, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But it's also true in the Christian life that we have to confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our righteousness. How would you advise someone listening? You don't have to be stuck in guilt, that there is a beauty and, and a wonderful aspect of repentance that will actually usher you into a really joy because now you are coming clean before God. Well, that's right. And, you know, I use the story of David, the well-known story of David, you know, after his double sin of adultery of uh, with Bathsheba and his murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Yeah. You know, he went through a period of about six months up to a year when he refused to acknowledge that sin. And he later wrote about that time. He said, you know, when I was silent about my sin, my body wasted away as with the fever heat of the summer. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me, O Lord. And many of us know that feeling of yeah. of uh, guilt. And uh, we feel like the sort of Damocles is hanging over <laughs> our head. And uh, I I love the Jonathan Edwards saying that the unrighteous uh, tremble at the rustling of the leaves. Mm. It's a terrible way to live, always thinking that God is going to uh, lower the boom on you at any moment. And there is such a relief that comes that David experienced when he finally confessed his sins and realized he had been washed and cleansed and transformed. And I would just say, you know, that is why Christ came. Uh, uh, is to provide forgiveness for our sins. If you think your sin is too great uh, to forgive, just think about the Apostle Paul. He said in 1 Timothy 1, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor. Here was a man who killed other Christians. I doubt any of our listeners have done that. And yet he said, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And he went on to say, I am exhibit A of the power of Christ to forgive anyone. That's so So great. remember... Uh, you're not a good enough sinner to out the grace of God. You just can't do it. Excellent. That's a 
great reminder. And going kind of along with that, something else you talk about in your book is moving from bitterness to forgiveness. Now, this is a basic truth that we all know as Christians, that because God and Jesus Christ forgave us of our sin, we are to forgive one another. Jesus said, forgive one another 70 times seven, which is there should be no limit to forgiving others. But it is possible and it is normal in some, uh, I would say, places in our lives where we become bitter, we get angry at someone, maybe somebody hasn't forgiven us or hasn't repented to us of their sin against us. Maybe there was abuse. It's difficult to move from that bitterness to forgiveness. How do you handle that? You know, I just finished Sunday preaching through the life of Joseph, and what a great example he is of forgiveness. His brother sold him into slavery, and yet when he was reconciled with them, the great comment in Genesis fifty twenty, and as for you, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good to bring about this present result and to preserve many people alive. Joseph was able to see beyond his brother's offense and see how God used it to place him in Egypt, to save Egypt and Israel alike. And, uh, you know, I think he illustrates what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't denial. It's not being a Pollyanna and saying, oh, I know you didn't mean anything by it. You know, first of all, to forgive somebody, you have to blame. You can't forgive those you're not willing to blame. He said to his brothers, what you did was terrible. But thank God, God is bigger than you are. He was able to use it for good. And I think that's the key to forgiving uh, Janet is to realize that God can take the worst things done to us for the worst reasons and still use them for good. And the other insight about forgiveness is Jesus was very clear, as you pointed out, if we do not forgive others, God will not forgive us. Forgiveness is the obligation of those who have been forgiven. Oh, man, yes. And sometimes it feels like it's easier, you know, said than done, as it were. And and yet this is what the Word of God says. Something else you talk about is moving from fear to courage. Now, we're living through a time, as you alluded to, of weirdness. I mean, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. People are feeling very unmoored, as it were, from security. Uh, And that's not always a bad thing, because if we are going through those kinds of times, then it's all the more reason to trust in the Lord. What do you advise people to do when you are fearful, when you're feeling anxiety and you just can't seem to move away from it? And and you know that the Lord is going to be your strength and your shield. He promises that in his word. How do you make that move from one side of the mountain to the other? Well, one of the things I do is I differentiate between anxiety, worry, and fear. And so let's take anxiety and worry, because it sounds like that's where you're going, because a lot of people get paralyzed by worry and fear right now. Uh, It's a tremendous uh, pandemic, so to speak, of itself, of worry. And there are so many things to worry about right now. And, uh, you know, sometimes worry can actually uh, be a blessing. It can come from God if it leads to positive change. Sometimes we call it conviction. There are things we ought to be doing that we're not doing and so forth. But the kind of worry that comes from Satan, Janet, is paralyzing worry. You know, Ephesians 6, Paul talks about the fiery darts of the devil. He loves to send flaming arrows into our life. I don't think more any is more effective than worry because it just paralyzes us. I bet your listeners can think of a time they've been uh, having a productive day at work or enjoying a Saturday with their family or worshiping on Sunday when suddenly out of nowhere this paralyzing thought comes in to their mind 
And it always starts with, what if? You know, what if I get sick? What if I lose my job? But what if? What if? And when you get that fear, it just overwhelms you. You don't feel like reading the Bible. You don't feel like praying. You don't feel like being with other Christians. That doesn't come from God. And um, what I like to do is remind people of something my friend David Jeremiah said one time. If you deal with worry, he said, take out a piece of paper and put at the top of the piece of paper my worry list and write down everything you can think about that you're worrying about. If you need a couple of pages or a tablet, use it, but exhaust everything you're worried about. And then when you finished, take your pen, go back to the top of the page, scratch out the word worry and write the word prayer. Hmm. Turn your worry list into your prayer list. And that's exactly what Paul said in Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, and the peace of God shall surround your hearts and mind. It's not enough to tell people, don't worry, don't worry. That's like telling somebody, don't think about a pink elephant. (laughs) I mean, that's all you'll do is think about a pink elephant. You've got to replace one action with another action. Replace worry with prayer. That is so good. It reminds me of Martin Luther's old quote, pray and let God worry. That's a much better plan, isn't it? I mean, because God can actually solve it. What can I do about it? Our friend Mary Crowley, who's in heaven now, the philanthropist, she used to say, you know, I give my problems to God at night I, and go to sleep. I figure he's going to be up all night anyway. <laughs> Perfect. I really like that. I really like that. That is tremendous. Uh, one thing I also wanted to talk about, because this isn't, I, I don't think this is discussed quite as much as it ought to be, and I'm glad you brought it up in this book, but moving from materialism to contentment. This is always a temptation, I believe, especially for Americans, because the Lord has made us such a prosperous country, and yet we can really fall into that materialism trap. What does it take, would you think, and would you advise to be content the way that God wants us to be content with what he has given to us? Well, again, I think something that drives materialism out of the heart is gratitude. Expressing gratitude to God for what he's already given you instead of focusing on what you may not have. I mean, these uh, pictures we're seeing from uh, Afghanistan right now, these poor people who absolutely have nothing, they can't get what little money they have out of the bank for food for their families, mm-hmm. or the devastation we're seeing in New Orleans. You know, Paul said in First Timothy 6, if we have food and covering, with these we should be content. If you know where your next meal is coming from, uh, if you have a place to sleep tonight, you're better off than 90% of the world. Mm. And anything extra added on to that is really just gravy. And I think it helps change our perspective when we thank God for what we do have instead of focusing on what we don't. It's important. Uh, Something else that kind of applies to what we've been discussing earlier is moving from grief to acceptance. There's a lot of grief right now, especially with the pandemic. Many people have become sick. People have lost loved ones. Acceptance is difficult. It's a necessary part of dealing with grief. Why include that particular one, moving from grief to acceptance? Well, I think that's a journey many people have had to take this last 18 months. They've suffered loss, whether it's loss of a loved one, loss of their own health, loss of a job. Uh, There are just so many things uh, that uh, people have dealt with that they had to lose. And, you know, uh, I think the key to grief is to realize it's a process you move through. And you're never going to go back to normal. There's going to be a new normal. And, uh, you know, I think of the grieving process, uh, Janet, like going into a dark tunnel. The bad news is it's dark and lonely. 
the good news is once you've started in, you're already on the way out of it. And uh, remember, I mean, Jesus himself experienced grief, the loss of his friend uh, Lazarus. He understands. And as the psalmist said, uh, sorrow endures the evening, but joy comes in the morning. That's right. That's such an important reminder. And, and you also, I think, included one of the best verses you could when you're closing out the book, John 10, 10, Jesus's promise, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And that's kind of the overarching theme here of this book and will be a great encouragement to many. It is called Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life by our guest, Dr. Robert Jeffress, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Dallas. Always good to talk to you, Dr. Jeffress. Stay well. God bless you. And thanks a lot for being with us. Thanks for having me, Janet. Thank you for being here. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by a firm film, Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick Brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, of all the people who have been reacting to the debacle in Afghanistan, I think thought that the comments of this woman who appeared in an interview with CNN had the most poignant thing to say among many poignant things that people have said that have just touched me to the very core of my being. And it was this woman named Sarah, an American left behind after troops completed their withdrawal from Afghanistan on Monday. And she was on with Chris Cuomo. I'm not going to take the time to play it. But her line was, I don't know anymore what to believe anymore. I don't believe in anybody anymore because they've been fooling me for the past 10 days. I don't believe in anybody anymore. Can you imagine what it is like to be an American left behind in Afghanistan? This woman, Sarah, is in a house with 37 people who still didn't know the last evacuation flight had left the country. And she said, even they didn't tell me that it was the last flight. So I had hope that we would leave. But she said the group uh, along with herself, were going gate to gate at Kabul airport, following directions from the State Department, but they didn't make it through. And now we have estimates from the State Department that the number of Americans left behind, the very low hundreds, as if that's some kind of small number. I'm, I'm so incensed. I'm not going to play for you yet another defiant Joe Biden speech. I'm just not going to do it. I did this sort of thing now and then under Obama because I couldn't take it. And I'm going to do it again today because I think it's very important for you to understand that all this administration is doing is doubling down and doing the emotional equivalent of spitting in Americans' faces. It wasn't enough that Biden looked at his watch. Now we've learned 13 times 13 times as those 13 troops who were killed in Afghanistan in a terrorist attack because of our negligence toward our own people in that country. It wasn't enough that Biden just showed up and was like, eh, you know, looking at his watch 13 times. Think about how you would feel if you were the parent of one of those troops. And now they're speaking out. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But this is the same man, by the way, who repeatedly has said that he would leave 
no one behind. He would leave no one behind. Let's go back to just a few days ago when President Biden was talking to George Stephanopoulos about leaving no one, which in my estimation actually means zero, leaving no one behind in Afghanistan. This was prior to the final withdrawal, obviously, but listen to cut one. Americans should understand that troops might have to be there beyond August 31st. No, Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the troops will stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. And? And if if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. All right. Well, what he said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's the quote that's going to live in infamy. But what he said yesterday when he was talking about the evacuation mission, is he said, after we started the evacuation 17 days ago, we did initial outreach and analysis and identified around 5,000 Americans who had decided earlier to stay in Afghanistan, but now wanted to leave. And they apparently, according to the president, evacuated 5,500 Americans out of Afghanistan. Biden said, we believe that about 100 to 200 Americans remain in Afghanistan with some intention to leave. What does that even mean? Some intention. Well, you know, if the Taliban skips my house as they're beheading people, then yeah, maybe I'll probably stay. But otherwise, I think I'd probably like to leave. What is this? He says most of those who remain are dual citizens, longtime residents, but earlier decided to stay because of their family roots in Afghanistan. He said the bottom line, 90 percent of Americans in Afghanistan who wanted to leave were able to leave. And for those remaining Americans, there is no deadline. We remain committed to get them out if they want to come out. Clearly not, because Sarah is one of those people who wanted to get out and you didn't get her out. And what about your Afghan translator who helped rescue you in Afghanistan in 2008? And there was a reporter yesterday who asked that question of Jen Psaki and and she replied, oh, yeah, yeah, we're really going to work on getting him out. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we're not going to hold our breath on that. At least I'm not going to hold my breath on that. Am I mad? Yes. Hopping mad. Hopping mad. Let's go back to August 2019. This was when Joe Biden was on CNN criticizing President Trump as usual and laughably talking about honesty and decency. Uh, This was via Breitbart. This is cut to. That it matters, the stories of these people, for the public to understand that this is not just a statistic. This is, this is, this is who, who we are, who they are. I mean, it's a, and it really is about you know, sort of reweaving that social fabric that holds the society together. Honesty, decency, hope, leaving nobody behind, giving hate no safe harbor. We don't always live up to them, that's, that, that's who we are. That's who we are. And it's the thing that holds us together. And, uh, and I don't see much of it coming from the far right and the bright parts of the world and, the, and, and this administration. It's uh, it's uniqueness of America. Yeah. Complete fraud. Complete fraud. Empty words, lying, trying to position himself as the great moral person of the universe compared to Donald Trump. I wonder how many Americans agree with that now, seeing what he actually does. What do they say? Don't look at what they say. Look at what they do. Boy, is that true of politicians? You know, the proof is in the pudding. What you actually do. Can you imagine President Trump? 
first of all, doing what he did, leaving all of those Americans over there stranded. There's no chance in the world he would have done that. And he certainly wouldn't have been looking at his watch 13 times during the course of the honor that is due to those families of those fallen troops. It's outrageous. And those men and women would still certainly be alive if President Trump had been the president uh, during the entire situation here. He certainly never would have allowed the Taliban to take control of Afghanistan the way it unfolded. It's crazy. House Republicans via Fox now have pledged to hold the administration accountable. And the Freedom Caucus actually in the House formally demanded that President Biden resign. And that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But there's also this bill now from Representative Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, and it does four things, according to the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy. What is the plan to bring Americans home safely? Every single American. What about the list of the weaponry that's been left behind and accounting for that? And the bill also asks that the Taliban not be recognized as the government of Afghanistan and seeks to prohibit any support or assistance to the Taliban. Now, what Biden had to say yesterday was that the United Nations Security Council passed a resolution that, quote unquote, sent a clear message about the international community's expectations for the Taliban to deliver on moving forward, notably freedom of travel and freedom to leave. Fantastic. I'm sure that's going to work out well. Have you ever heard the phrase, you don't negotiate with terrorists? Apparently not. It's just, it's, it's beyond anything I can understand. And here's something even worse. Nancy Pelosi wasn't even present, wasn't even present on the House floor when they had a moment of silence for the American heroes lost in Afghanistan. And as one of the congressmen pointed out, not a single Democrat joined the Republicans on the floor of the House and that moment of silence. And that is a shame, but perhaps I shouldn't be surprised. These people don't care about you. They don't care about you. They don't care about your kids. They care about power and they care about their broader globalist progressive agenda, which is going to completely destroy the country. That's what they care about. They don't care about anybody but themselves. And it is absolutely maddening to watch it unfold. Listen to this one. I pulled this one out too via Breitbart. This is one of Biden's faithful supporters back in December 2019. I wonder if she has any regrets. Listen to how happy and hopeful she was back then. Cut three. We support Joe because we trust Joe Biden to look out for the underdogs. We work in a facility for individuals with disabilities, and we have to advocate for them every day. As advocates, we look for someone else who's going to advocate for our entire country and for those individuals who can't advocate for themselves, and we trust that Joe Biden is that person. Yeah, how are you feeling now? Joe Biden, by the way, put that on his Twitter account. He posted that as somebody who's... Very, very supportive of him. Oh, we trust Joe Biden. You know, put not your trust in princes. How many times do we have to go back to that biblical admonition? Put your trust in the Lord. But there is more that I want to get into, in particular an American Greatness article on what really has been going down in Afghanistan that the Biden administration's not telling you the truth about. We'll come back on Janet Meffer today. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? 
Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. By the way, there is no update from the Biden administration on the 24 Sacramento, California students who are trapped in Afghanistan. Will they go get those students? Well, the Office of Representative Ami Barra of California confirmed to Fox that two dozen Sacramento area students are stranded there. And there has been no update from the Biden administration on their status. Barra's office confirmed in an email that they were trapped overseas and they've been in contact with the San Juan Unified School District, but so far have not received an update. So terrific. Maybe we will at some point have the Taliban making examples of a number of American students. Wouldn't that be a PR disaster for these people? And then they'll just get out there and lie some more because they're not going to give up power. They live for power. They live for influence. And Biden, it's it's wild to me. I, I've seen Joe Biden in action for the last you know several decades. Never thought anything of him. Always thought he was corrupt. Always thought he was just nasty. But boy, is he up the nasty. In addition to being out of it, he's just nasty. He comes up and people say, all right, let's talk about it. I'm not talking about Afghanistan. Can you imagine if Trump did that? Do you think they would let him off the hook? Now, I want to get to this story from American Greatness because it, it really is important that you hear some of the truth, all of the truth, as much as we can get. But you really need to hear this because this is just stunning. This was printed actually a few days ago, but there's an update on it. But I, I got to tell you about this. This is a story about Biden officials warning American rescue, an American rescue plane to turn back or be shot down. Here's what it says. A private airplane that was flying into the Kabul airport to rescue stranded American citizens and Afghan allies allegedly was told to turn back or they would be shot down. American officials in charge of giving clearance at the airport told fellow Americans that they would be fired upon if they didn't leave. 
The source for this is Mary Beth Long, a former Department of Defense official who gave an exclusive interview to American Greatness. The plane ended up landing elsewhere in Afghanistan, she said. Now, Americans, at least at the time, were being advised to leave completely as the deadline approached for withdrawal. Long was responsible for Afghan security policy from 2005 to 2008, had an office in Kabul from 2010 to 2017, and has been actively involved with the rescue efforts in the country. She wrote about this in another article. Some American citizens, she said, made the perilous journey to the airport four times only to be turned away at the gates each time as a result of the biden administration's inexplicable actions some members of the military and other officials went rogue and took matters into their own hands now this will break your heart sergeant nicole gee or g i'm not sure how she pronounces her name one of the 12 marines now 13 we know slain in the isis suicide bombing was particularly helpful in sneaking americans through the gate in defiance of orders and is one of the soldiers we lost. Someone who is selfless, trying to save people. Other Marines guarding the gates have PTSD, she said, from being forced to block the entrance of the airport from American citizens desperate to flee the country, knowing they face almost certain death at the hands of the Taliban if they don't get out. Long said she's fielded calls from crying Marines who said the situation at the airport was more stressful to them than any of the hard combat they've experienced over in Afghanistan. Long stressed that the Biden administration is flat out lying about the Americans who have been left behind. Jen Psaki and other regime officials have insisted repeatedly that the State Department has been contacting every American in the country for months, urging them to leave, and the ones who are still there just refused. In truth, Long alleges there were thousands of Americans in Afghanistan who weren't even on the State Department's database for various reasons, and were never contacted. I haven't heard that from the administration, have you? Long explains they were expected to coordinate their departure through a State Department website portal, which was impossible for many of them. Just go to our website. It's getoutofkabul.com. I mean, can you imagine? Long said special operators have been trying to locate an American family of four from Texas who haven't been heard from for days. I don't have any update on whether or not these people were found. She said they need to get in touch with their point of contact in the U.S. in order to coordinate their escape. Again, this was the day before the withdrawal occurred. Throughout the weekend, multiple reports surfaced from special operators on the ground in Afghanistan indicating that the Biden regime is actively thwarting their efforts to rescue people who are desperate to get out of Afghanistan. Think about that for a moment. Actively preventing people from getting out. Threatening to shoot down an American rescue plane. American officials saying that fellow Americans would be fired upon if they didn't leave the airport. Now, it doesn't say the American officials would shoot them, but it sure kind of sounds like that. If you're saying also the American rescue plane, you know, turn around or you'll be shot down. Or they're going to tell the Taliban to do it or they're going to do it themselves. What country is this anymore? It's a country that's been taken over by radicals, folks. That's what's going on. This isn't the country in which we all grew up. This isn't the country that we know and love. But the problem is not the United States per se and everything the United States has been historically and continues to be, at least on paper. It's the people in power. It's the people in power. It makes me crazy every single day to see things like these gigantic vaccine mandate pushback protests in places like Europe and places like Australia. 
Have we lost our ability to fight back against a tyrannical government? Who knows? But this story is just absolutely shocking and people need to know about it. And you're not going to hear about it probably on MSNBC. I'm just taking a wild guess here. It's just nuts. It's nuts. And it's so disheartening. And then, of course, you have all the reactions from these parents of these troops who were killed by this terrible terrorist attack in Afghanistan. And what are you to think about this? The watch situation, for example, this was from uh, Sean Hannity's show over on Fox. Gold star father Mark Schmitz had a son who was killed in Kabul. And this just breaks your heart. Listen to how this went. This is cut for. We left him behind. Mark, you want to comment on the watch incident? Did you notice the same thing? Yes, I did. Uh, I actually leaned into my son's mother's ear and I said, I swear to God, if he checks his watch one more time, and that was only probably four times in, um, I, I couldn't I couldn't look at him anymore after that, just considering especially the time and why we were there. It was, uh, I found to be the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen. And then there was the mother who apparently was suspended from Facebook, well, Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. They shut down her account because she put up this rant against Joe Biden. Her son, Kareem Nakui, was killed in Afghanistan. The mom's name is Shana Chappell. And she wrote this heart-wrenching message. And you can't even wrap your head around it. I'll read part of it for you. Some of it I can't read because it's vulgar, but she says, this message is for you. This is to the president. I know my face is etched into your brain. I was able to look you straight in the eyes yesterday and have words with you. After I lay my son to rest, you will be seeing me again. Remember, I'm the one who stood five inches from your face and was letting you know I would never get to hug my son again, hear his laugh, and then you tried to interrupt me and give me your own sob story. And I had to tell you that this isn't about you, so don't make it about you. Apparently, he has this tendency to talk about his lost son, his son who died, Bo Biden. You then said, you just wanted me to know that you know how I feel. And I let you know that you don't know how I feel and you do not have the right to tell me you know how I feel. You then rolled your eyes in your head like you were annoyed with me. And I let you know that the only reason I was talking to you was out of respect for my son. And that was the only reason why. I then proceeded to tell you again how you took my son away from me and how I will never get to hug him, kiss him, laugh with him again. You turned to walk away And I let you know my son's blood was on your hands and you threw your hand up behind you as you walked away from me as if to say, okay, whatever. You are not the president of the United States, Biden. Cheating isn't winning. You are no leader of any kind. You are a weak human being and a traitor. You turned your back on my son, on all of our heroes. You are leaving the White House one way or another because you do not belong there. If my President Trump was in his rightful seat, then my son and the other heroes would still be alive. You will be seeing me again very soon. By the way, as my son and the rest of our fallen heroes were being taken off the plane yesterday, I watched you disrespect us all five different times by checking your watch. She ends by saying America hates you. But you know something? There's a great quote from Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator. I thought about this. The justice of God is the refuge of those who are wronged. There will come a day, ladies and gentlemen, when the judge of all the earth will do right. He always does right. 
that day is coming. And I hope and pray for each one of these families that they understand that. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Trust in Him. He loves you. And He will never, ever, ever let you down. And one day, justice is coming for those who are not born again by the Spirit of God and in Christ. Rest in that. This hour of Janet Mefford today is brought to you by Affirm Films. Show me the father from the Kendrick brothers, the creators of War Room and Courageous Explore Fatherhood through five true stories. Show me the father rated PG parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th. We'll see you next time. 